With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandsLots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. All right. Microphone on. All right. We're ready to rock. Here we go. This show is sponsored by CoventryCreations.com. You're listening to Keep It Magic Radio. 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 Are you ready to make some magic? Jackie and Storm are putting the pieces together for you. Find out what planets are changing the game and how to harness that energy. Get the latest metaphysical perspective on hot topics. Learn how to make magic work for you. Nothing is too hot or personal for Jackie and Storm to handle. Visit our website weekly for articles, updates, and the latest information to transform your life at www.keepitmagic.com. Now here is Jackie Smith and Storm Sestavani. Afternoon, everybody. This is Jackie Smith, and I'm here with the amazing, gifted, smart-as-hell guy who is my co-host, Storm Sestavani. And, and you know, that's a little, little low-key. I'm sorry, Storm. That's not the best intro I've ever done for you. Smart-as-hell guy. Smartest guy I know. And you are listening to Keep It Magic. And for the next hour, we're going to explore some really interesting things about working with your ancestors and even working with the ancestors that you don't like. But in the meantime, make sure you go check out our show website, www.keepitmagic.com, where you're going to find articles that relate to our shows. You're going to find um, the, the links to our sponsor, CoventryCreations.com, because you know if you've got a problem, we got a candle for that. And um, follow us on Facebook, which you can find us under Keep It Magic Radio or Keepin' It Magic. And you can find me at CoventryCreations.com or Ask-Jackie.com. And you can find Storm at StormSestavani.com. And you know what you're going to want to do? You're going to want to make sure you follow both of us on Facebook because we post some good stuff every day. Some Thank of it's you. just funny. <laughs> some of it's random, like trustful. Um which is one of my posts over the last couple of weeks that I got so much conversation on. It was hilarious. Um, and then Storm has his d- different daily astrological insights, which l- two weeks ago we talked about um, the impact of the new moon earlier this month in Libra and how it's impacting us all month long in our relationships because it is impacting us in... T- tell us again, Storm. Um, it- it's, it's impacting us because of the fact that it's the tearing down of old relationships right. uh, or, or, or ideas in regards to relationships. And then the um, uh, you know, reopening up of, uh, or, or the, the letting go of new ones as well. So um, you know, it's kind of the tearing down, the amputating, letting go, all that kind of stuff. Because there's also the aspect of Uranus and Pluto yeah. and Jupiter all doing their little dance. Yeah, it's it's, it's called the cardinal square, and I didn't get a chance to mention this last week, so I'll mention it this week. Um, A cardinal square is basically where you have a planet in all four of the the cardinal signs. Okay, so you have the sun and moon in Libra, 
which is a cardinal sign. You have Uranus in Aries, which is a cardinal sign. You have Jupiter in Cancer, which is a cardinal sign. And you have Pluto in Capricorn, which is a cardinal sign. The difficulty with a big, huge, gigantic square is that there's not much room for movement. Okay. You don't get to sit outside the box. Yeah, you don't get, you to, get to sit get inside, inside the box. box. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Which is probably, you know, most of the time, Jackie, I don't know about you, but half of the time I'm having to tell my clients all the time, you know what, in this situation, you really need to look at the big picture here. You need yep. to look at it from a bigger perspective. In this case, you need to look at the little box <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> of your life. Okay. And, and what, okay. Is, what is going on? Nobody wants to look at the garbage. Yeah. Nobody wants to look at the stuff that's not working. We want to look at the stuff that's working and make it work better. But nobody wants to look at the garbage because it's painful. Yeah. Uh, but if you go ahead and look at what's not working and and address it, because it's addressing you, <laughs> and, and if things are going poorly and um, and you can't figure out what's what's shaken out, know that it's because um, this this cardinal square is addressing you and you're not paying attention. Oh, exactly. Wah, wah, wah. Exactly. You know, the other thing I think um, uh, that stood out to me, and I had to meditate over it for a little while now, Jackie, um, is that insight in regards to bargaining that we got. Yes. That was pretty big. And actually that is um, something that I wrote down and um, and I have Facebooked and I have uh, tried to uh, create discussions around I did change up what we said last time a little bit. That's okay. You ha- nobody is going to remember anything perfectly. <laughs> um, um, I changed it up this way. Is that when, when you can no longer bargain with the other person, you start to bargain with yourself. Yeah. And that's where obsession begins. Yeah, definitely great. Great um, insight. I Yeah, I think that was uh, really powerful. And it's something that... Um, I think that that is doesn't even have to be around another person, but um, I've been using that myself in my life too. Really thinking about where that applies, and so where the obsession can begin, which might be I want those boots. Oh, good God! <laughs> and I don't no, have the money no, for those boots. No, let the shoe addiction go. I really don't have a shoe addiction, to be honest with you. I just like to say it. Oh. <laughs> but, or, or better yet, I want that book. <laughs> oh, now we're talking. <laughs> yeah. And I don't have money for that book, so now I'm going to figure out how to bargain with myself to rearrange my finances so I can buy that book. You know, just don't be one of those people that go and sell your blood for the book. <laughs> I get kind of creeped out by that. Or, or I could just go to the library. Yeah. I'm just saying. Yeah. We've got some good libraries around here. But, okay, so today's show to get back to what today's show is about, because we can absolutely go off on a tangent, is about ancestors. We're going to talk about how to um, request your ancestors to work for you. Can I just put my phone on mute now and just go do whatever? No, you can't because this applies to you. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) And what to do when your ancestors are jerks. Um. This is a time of year where there's a lot of ancestor worship. You know, like um, one of the facts that I found on the Internet, so you know it has to be true, but I found it more than one way, more than one place, is that almost 96%, and I would maybe go 90% if we add America into this, 96 if we look at outside of America, um, of the world's population, um, ritual offerings and prayers 
and connections to your ancestors on a daily basis is part of their everyday life. Mm-hmm. So ancestors are really important to us. Um, and in America, we do not venerate or hold um, sacred or even valuable our ancestors. Um, there's a whole genealogy craze that's been going on for decades now, but which we can thank the Mormons for. Um, but the we don't think about, and, and just like we don't care for our elderly, and don't even get me started on that political statement, but... Um, we um what what we hold sacred what we hold veneration to is more of a hero worship mm-hmm. an idealized um approach to the the people not even our blood ancestors the people that have gone before us so we idealize um the the perceived heroes in our life um taking their humanity out of them because of course you have to be perfect to be a hero mm-hmm. or we'll idealize or venerate cultural ancestors like for instance Marie Laveau or Janice Joplin. Janis Joplin. So we'll connect with a culture, a leader, an ancestor or leader in our culture, but we ignore our own personal ancestors. And and that's hard to do because a lot of us don't know beyond one generation or two generations. Uh-huh. You know, it wasn't until um I was in my late twenties that um, I discovered my father's mother name was Rosa Martina. I thought it was just Martina. I didn't know her first name was Rosa. And and so there's very little information. My parents didn't talk about their parents to us. My mom, my dad did a little bit. My mo- my mom certainly not. And it wasn't until she was actually really sick and on different painkillers, and she was kind of just loose lipped. We started asking her some questions, uh-huh. um, and we and I know I understand after that those conversations. My mom works with a lot of pain concerning her parents, so of course she didn't talk about them. So, but that's not that's not unusual. So I started polling different people I know, and unless you were brought brought up in more of an old world, um, maybe first or second generation coming from um, immigrate having immigrated to the U.S. Uh-huh. Once you're in the third, fourth, fifth gener- generation, um, or you start in the Beverly Hillbilly, or you start in the Beverly Hillbilly, yeah, yeah, or or you have a parent who's or grandparent whose childhood was so painful they just they they cut it all off. Because um, most people's lives are not the Waltons people. No, <laughs> no. but I don't and I don't want to say this is just America, but I think this is modern culture. Yeah, because modern culture does not value the old does not value the roots and the history. Why do you think that is? Um, science. Science? Science. Okay. Um, because there's always something new and improved and better, and we're being better than the, the people who have gone before us, the ancestors have gone before us. I think science has, has a lot to do with it, because science took us out of a place of um, divine mystery uh-huh. and into a place of scientific fact. I'm not saying that's bad. Uh-huh. It's evolution, baby. Yeah. But what happens is then it starts to disengage us from our past. I don't think we need to live in our past. I think um, what we have to do is we have to know our roots and know our past. So I read a couple of interesting blogs as I was doing some research for the show, and one was from the um, Kansas City Heathen. 
I uh-huh. love that name. Is that a good name? Yeah, it is. And this blog, he, um, this author talks about three approaches to ancestor worship. One is the idealized ancestor approach. Two is the cultural identity approach. And then three is the personal ancestors approach. And, you know, the personal ancestors we'll, we'll get to in a minute, but I think it's fascinating. I really liked this person's um, take on this because it's very Jungian, so I know you'll like it. Uh-huh. Or at least I think it is. You can tell me if I'm wrong because you will. Yeah. <laughs> so the idealized ancestor approach is um, a connection to heroes, idealistic imagery without regard to the individual um, connection to them, like your personal connection to them. Uh-huh. Um, and it's just basically hero worship. So um, it's very specifically heroes that are known by name and stories. But you can tell somebody is using an idealized ancestor approach when you see books and statues and posters and and maybe swords and axes or um, ancient-looking things uh-huh. um, that shows appreciation and connection to that hero approach. But here's my modern take on it. Ronald Reagan. Uh-huh. How many, um, and, and this is not a political statement, this is just me viewing it. I, re- I was around when Ronald Reagan was president, and people were not happy about this. Uh-huh. But the Republicans today, even some of the Democrats today, are trying to align themselves with Ronald Reagan because he is now a hero. He is no longer a human. He doesn't have any humanistic characteristics. He has just some perfect idolatry to him. Uh-huh. Here, now, here. Do you think that part of that reason is because of the fact that he was a movie star? I think he had a lot of charisma, but I think there was um, a fantasy of how things worked. Uh-huh. He got a lot of credit. Whether he deserved that credit or not, I'm not even going to say, but <laughs> but, but um, it was in the past was better than it is now. Yeah. So when you're struggling now, you look to the past because you can't look to the future. You don't know what's going to happen, so so you look to the past to see. I, it was I think that there's a large archetypal dimension that, and and I agree with you. I think that that's very Jungian because there's a large archetypal um, representation that's going on there. You know, there's certain um, U.S. presidents um, that have that archetypal d- dimension: George Washington, um, Abraham Lincoln, Thomas um, Jefferson. Uh, Thomas Jefferson, um, Ronald Reagan, FDR, um, John F. Kennedy Jr., um, uh, Bill Clinton. Some people are going to probably be irritated with that. But But he's still living. We can't include him. Um, uh, But there is an archetypal um, dimension that basically goes on there, which means actually what it is that we're uh, we're worshiping is actually a connection to, um, for lack of a better term, a god force. Yes. Or a deity than, um, uh, uh, you know, than anything else. You know, you see the same thing. You, you know, you see the, for, for example, with, with Ronald Reagan, you see the same archetypal imagery with John Wayne. Yes, I was going to say. That cowboy yeah. um, swagger, you know, I'm going, I'm going you, you know, I'm not going to blink, you know, you will, you will, I will shoot you. <laughs> <laughs> you know, the irony with, with Reagan, it's interesting that you brought him up. Um, you know, during his particular presidency, um, uh, Reagan has no fire in his charge um, at all. And during his particular, I was going to say pregnancy, during his (laughs) his presidency, um, uh, Jackie, everybody was 
very, very concerned and worried that we were going to end up in a world war with Russia. Um, throughout his entire um, presidency, you know, um, uh, Mr. Gorbachev, tear down that wall. You know, the whole Soviet Union, communism, all of that stuff, you know, reached a very, very high-pitched uh, fever right. during, was, during the was a really You're right, that was really scary, and we were yeah. concerned about a lot of things, but now that it's over, he's a hero. So some of the villains of today become, become heroes of tomorrow, and so as, a, as an idealized ancestor approach on this whole thing, I mean, you can throw in... Um, you can throw in Jackie O. Uh-huh. You can throw in um, Susan B. Anthony. You can throw in Marilyn Monroe. Marilyn Monroe. You can throw in um, uh, Charlie Chaplin. Uh, uh, first of all, anybody in the it's really people in the media, uh-huh. or even um, 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 Benjamin Franklin. Uh-huh. But see, what I think we're doing when we bring them, and I think we we unconsciously bring them into our lives. How many? How many Marilyn Monroe posters have you seen out and about in different people's lives where they just, it's part of their art? Yeah. Um, but I think what we do is I think we pull energy and inspiration from those heroes uh-huh. or courage um, to get through our difficult times. So we'll look to the past when we don't have anyone in our present. So I think that's one of the, the way we idealize an ancestor that is not a blood relative to ours, that we just know a name and a story on. Um, and then we have that cultural identity approach. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's similar to that idealized ancestor approach, um, but there's, the difference is that it's narrowed to a cultural tradition, maybe some foods or songs or dances. So you know what it brings to mind? The mm-hmm. Celtic craze in the 90s. Mm-hmm. And everybody's Celtic not work tattoos. Um, and um, there, was, there was a definite uh, every... And isn't that where the tribal bands came from? Yes. Okay. The tribal tattoos and stuff yeah. like that. Um, so I, so there's that cultural identity approach, and there was it just cracks me up uh, how many how many people were like connected to the Celts. But then let's look at you know people today. New Orleans uh, hoodoo voodoo is a huge thing. Um, Salem connecting yourself to Salem or or different parts of the world to say. You know, these people um, are my inspiration. So there's uh-huh. there's that cultural identity, and it could be there's a huge African traditional religion um, that lots of white folks are getting into, including me. I mean, I've been doing that for a long time, but um, or the Egyptian Kemetic stuff. So so they become um, those cultural ancestors uh-huh. of yours, and I think Christopher Penzik calls them the mighty dead. Uh-huh. So he has a Christopher Pensick has a whole book on the mighty dead and, and that's that cultural identity approach. I love him. You can go get a book on anything and it's by Christopher Pensick. <laughs> <laughs> so so it's us delving into a specific a specific culture. Yeah. Or or maybe even preserving our own culture that we um are genetically linked to. Like, you know, you discovered that that you know, if I discovered I'm I'm one thirty second Passamaquoddy First Nation and and I decide I need to dive into that to to find that cultural identity mm-hmm. within me. Then there's the personal ancestors. And some of them we've actually met. Some of them we just know their names or seen pictures of them. Um, and here's the interesting thing that this author, which I, I couldn't find the name of this author on, on their site, and, and that's my fault, but... Um, I love how this author, the Kansas City Heathen, talks about how we honor our personal ancestors, by collecting uh, the stories from the people who are living, 
uh-huh. learning about them, and then passing them on, teaching um, your, our children about our ancestors, um, have, uh, forming an appreciation for them one way or the other, good or bad. Uh-huh. Um, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter whether it's good or bad because you're going to get a healthy appreciation of that behavior. Um, so I, I loved how they said it's not – this person actually then, the Kansas City Heathen, goes on and talks about building an ancestor altar, and he has another blog about that, or she has another blog about that. Um, so I think that um, what we have here is a natural approach to bringing ancestors into our life. Uh-huh. So I thought that was – I love those three approaches, and it's so very true. Yeah. So very true. I watch a lot of people do all that. But um, whenever I bring up, when I'm working with a client and I say, it's time to build an ancestor altar and get your ancestors working for you, there's a huge immediate resistance. Oh, hell no. <laughs> I'm, I'm right there with them. Hell no. Hell, hell no. no. I don't want to talk to them. I don't want to deal with them. I'm not putting them on my altar. No, no. Go away. That's I'm the from a dysfunctional family. You know, you know my grandfather. I mean, my, my father, family put the my gift father in function. Me. Yeah. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. It's all. It's all there. Or you know, I, um, a very good friend of mine uh, was struggling with her own ancestor altar because. She said, and she's from, her family's from Germany, and she's a first-generation immigrant, and um, in tracing her lineage back, she discovered that um, she had a grand, grandfather, great-grandfather who was an SS officer uh-huh. for the Nazi party. And she's like, I, I just can't do it. I just can't bring them in. I just can't work with them. How do I, how do I reconcile this? How do I build an ancestor altar and then exclude that person? Uh-huh. And it's difficult. It is difficult. But I think now it's time for healing. Uh-huh. Could you imagine? Well, could you? Seriously, Storm, could you imagine if you could move forward in your life without the burden of the pain? Um, this is This is where... We may disagree a little. I love it. Tell me. I think when you have circumstances and situations that happen to you, especially in the younger part of life, um, it creates a chironic wound. And a chironic wound is different than the garden variety um, in the fact that they're, uh, number one, it's not something that the individual asked for. Um, uh, uh and it is a circumstance and or situation that there is no cure for, that there is, there is really not any way that you can heal from it. Um, and possibly the only thing that you can do is accept it. Um, and I think that there are certain circumstances that happen um, uh, that are of that particular nature. Um, rape, mm-hmm. child abuse. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, uh, um, uh, you know, um, you you were born at a time in which your father was uh, at war in Europe and he died. Mm-hmm. Um, therefore, you know, the experience of father um, uh, is, it's not anything that you can get back. Um, uh, you know, there may be surrogates, but you're never going to have a relationship with your father. Um, and therefore, that particular wound will always be there and always be active. So I think that there are particular wounds uh, in, in which that occurs. 
Um, uh, and I, th- you, you know, and of course, you know, I could be extremely jaded because I'm somebody that uh, came from an extremely abusive childhood. But, uh, uh, but I don't necessarily know if there really is anything that you can do, you can do to cure it. You can't go back and erase it. Um, it's going to be a trigger in some particular way um, through the course of somebody's entire life, regardless of how many um, uh, therapeutic sessions that you go to or how much even candle magic you burn over. Or um, you know you may be able to deal with it and, and appease it and, and put it to rest a little, but it's still going to be there. I agree with you. I agree with you that it's always going to be there. It's always it's going to be a defining factor in your mm-hmm. life, just like you you have um, green eyes or curly brown hair. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just it's a factor in your life, and and but the difference is I think between. I think a chironic wound, um, like you said, it's, it's always going to be there. It's always going to be a thing. Yeah, I think that the best way to say it is, is it's a wound caused by life's unfairness. Yes. Um, but it doesn't have to debilitate you. No. And I think that's what we're talking about. With, I, I know that's what I'm talking about when working with the ancestors that were, excuse my language, assholes. Uh-huh. And and so what it is is that, okay, so ancestors sometimes need our help to elevate. Uh-huh. Um, let's go back, let me go back a little bit further. So in in so many traditions, there's a, there's a view of the soul has three parts to it, three aspects of it, once you're living in this lifetime. Uh-huh. There is the part that's that's divine, that that just shoots right back up to God. Then there's the part that is part of your oversoul, that um, holds the the lessons, the the overall lessons that holds the wisdom that you leave each lifetime with. And then there's the part of the soul that holds the minute memories, uh-huh. the the how tos. That I was a lawyer, so here's how. Here's how you lawyer. I was a candle maker, so here's how you pour candles. Yeah. So in in um, like for working with, working in graveyards, one of the one of the things I challenged one of my teachers is I said, all right, here, listen. I think that we all go back to our oversoul or go back to the oneness, and 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 if that's the case, how can you know? I I know soul parts, and I've worked with them. So how uh-huh. can how can you go and get graveyard dirt and have it work for you? I think it's just the emotions of the people who are grieving them. And he says, well, it's the part of the soul that, that stays. It's that earthly plane. And so as we were having that conversation, I said, oh, I get that. <laughs> I completely understand because that's, you, don't need to know, um, you don't need to know how to shuffle a deck of cards because you, um, you worked at a casino. You were a dealer at a casino your whole life going back, into the, uh, going back to your oversoul. So that information stays here on this earthly plane. So that sometimes needs elevation. We need to pray for that. Um, so in some traditions, in, in the spiritist traditions, are having a misa, which comes from a cross between a Cuban and African and, and, and Kardak, and there's all just kinds of uh-huh. mishmash going in there. So when you have a spiritual mass for one of your ancestors, you're praying to elevate them. So you're praying for that that oversoul spirit as well as that earthly spirit 
to elevate it, to release the pain bodies, to release the negativity, um, so that they can elevate themselves. Maybe maybe they're stuck that that um, oversoul part, the part that goes back to the oversoul gets stuck here because it has some unfinished business. Uh-huh. So you say those. That's why you would say um, have a mass set for someone. So it helps elevate them. Now, that is a big part of of working with the dead and work. A lot of mediums do this. Then there's the other part of working with your ancestors. Now, one of the things that that um, hit me when I first started working with my ancestors is when someone said, "You are the culmination." You specifically in this moment are the culmination of all of your ancestors' hard work, all of their suffering, all of their successes, all of their challenges. You're the culmination of that. Uh-huh. And and I went, oh, wow, that's a really that, that just really made me feel a, a part of a bigger thing, and started understanding why my ancestors would want even even aunts and uncles and you know ancestors that maybe go sideways and not up (laughs) yeah um yeah i am i am a combination and so um yes they want so basically yes they want to help you be happy the ones who have already elevated and then you have the ones that maybe have not elevated that need some love um and i just found that very empowering and like they're in in different like in Santeria, you go to your ancestors first. In a lot of traditions, you go to your ancestors first before you go up to the divine, up to different gods and goddesses. Mm-hmm. You know, 96%. And why is that? Because you probably shouldn't uh, uh, go to uh, the divine first? With petty things? Yeah, yeah possibly. So um, you should only go to your ancestors with petty things. <laughs> <laughs> well, why would you go to your ancestors first? A lot of times they, in some traditions, they consider it the gateway yeah. to the divine, so you're going to meet them first. But And then in other traditions, because they are so close to you. And in ancestor reverence, a lot of, um, a lot of traditions give them something physical from this tangi- physical, tangible world that we're in. Yeah. They give, them some, give their ancestors something from this world that has a lot of energy, so then the ancestors can use that energy to affect change in your life. Like, for uh-huh. instance, um, hell money, um, which is um, a bastardized name for um, what, in the Chinese traditions, they would give literally give money to their ancestors to spend for them in the spirit world. Uh-huh. Uh, and they would, uh, and then, then they started giving them play money, like million, million, 10 million yens or something. Um, like the, a, a version of a million dollar bill, and it and it and they would energize this, and they would give that to their ancestors. And then in African traditions, you would give them food because food is so precious. You give an, your ancestors a, just like a bite of your food of everything on uh-huh. your plate, or maybe a whole plate of food, or a toy that they like to play with, or a pack of cigarettes, tobacco. Um, crossing over into the um, the First Nation people. Um, offering tobacco to their ancestors to speak to them. So all of these things are energy, physical, tangible energy that that you're you're gifting them with and asking for their their um, help. So that's why you go to your ancestors first because they're close to you. They're yeah. they're closer in plane than than going up a little bit further. And they want to you know they want to help you, especially the ones that were not jerks. Yeah. 
So, but often we get stuck at, we really get stuck at this was an ancestor who who did me wrong or did my family wrong um, or did somebody else's family wrong and I don't, I don't want them anymore. I don't want them in my life. But, um, so again, one of the other blogs I found while doing this research was from the ifafoundation.org, IFA, I-F-A, mm-hmm. is... Um, is an African traditional religion. It's um, associated with Santeria, but it's not quite. But they work with the Orishas. And um, again, this author talked about how there's no point in fighting with the dead. <laughs> <laughs> you I know, right? You don't. You can't fight with the dead. There's no point in it. Um, but no matter what kind of person your ancestor was while they were alive you have to understand two facts. First is you would not be here or be who you are without them. And we'll get into that in a second. Yeah. And second, whatever they were, they are not anymore. Because remember, they left that memory down in the earth. They left that trauma that their trauma that they grew up with, their their emotional crap was left in the earth. Yeah. So they're not that anymore, especially if you said prayers for them to help them elevate. So instead of continuing to carry all of that negative energy, because that negative energy keeps you stuck. Yeah. And sometimes you can get stuck with that negative energy even when they're your, your ancestors are not quite your ancestors. <laughs> when exactly. They're, when they're still alive. <laughs> so carrying that negative energy impedes your own growth. And again, what does negative energy do? It fills all those spaces of doubt, and um, it keeps you stuck, and it keeps you limited, um, and it keeps you in that place of fear. So, um, when you know your ancestors just gathering their experiences, so they, so if they were a jerk to you, and they have that experience of being a jerk, um, and they also now have the knowledge of the repercussions. Yeah. And potentially the shame of it or the the regret. Maybe that's the better word is the regret of it. So now they want to work even harder for you because they need to elevate themselves. So when you, um, if you, you know, I love how this, this author talks about doing something really cathartic, which is denying the love you were never allowed to express. Um, tell them, tell your ancestors that you had love for them and you needed their love back and you didn't get it. And get a little mad at them. Yeah. Get a little mad at them. What's wrong with you? You need to make this up to me. And this is getting them to work for you and understanding that they actually have some positive energy for you. They have a they have amends to make and so they're going to make sure they spend that energy in the positive direction of your life. Which, and granted, your ancestors, working with your ancestors is different than working with some with um, a disincarnate spirit who is haunting you. Those are two entirely different things. Yeah. So one of the things that my ancestors do for me is they keep the disincarnate spirits out. <laughs> and sometimes those disincarnate spirits are other ancestors. So here's my little story. You ready? Go ahead. So when you marry someone... Your, your ancestors combine. So 
So my husband's ancestors are now my ancestors. Or when you live with somebody or have a deep relationship with them, sometimes the ancestors will say, oh, guess what, you guys are married, and now I'm your ancestor too. So um, my husband's grandfather hadn't quite crossed over, and he wanted to talk to me. And so he decided that he was going to start to try and come through me forcefully. Uh And it was my other ancestors who stopped him because I was working with them, and the other ancestors said, no way. And so we did um, work to elevate him, and this is over a long period of time. We did work to elevate him, and, and now he's one of our honored ancestors. But they they will stop, your if you work with your current ancestors, they will stop the ones who haven't elevated yet from harming you. So your ancestors absolutely work for you. Yeah. And so in a, in a, in a situation where, let's say, you had an abuser in your life, um, you do have ancestors that would want to keep that from you. We want to save you from that. So call on them to help help be that that um, barrier between you and that negative ancestor or that disincarnate now um, to to keep you safe until they can be elevated. And they have to. Sometimes they have to work their way. I know this sounds a little. It sounds a little cuckoo to some people. They're like, "What? My ancestors." <laughs> What? But it's so fascinating how many cultures that that's true in. Is that and what what a great feeling to know that I don't know if it's a great feeling. It's a terrible feeling to know that that you have there's amends that need to be made to you. But when when you bring that forgiveness in and and I need to make sure that everyone understands my definition of forgiveness uh-huh. is getting out of the way getting out of the way of that pain, getting out of the way of that negativity, bending around it, giving, um, moving. Because um, it, if when you hold on to something, because we talked about in the last show, letting go. Uh-huh. So forgiveness and letting go to me are synonymous. Yeah. Because when you forgive something, you let it go and you get out of its way, you get out of that negativity's way, it doesn't define your every move anymore. It doesn't define your personality. So, you know, if you get through that pain and if you disperse that negativity, you unblock yourself. So all that negativity you have around the the ancestor who is the abuser or the jerk or or that um and when you like no no, I'm not going to I'm not going to talk to them. I'm not going to honor them. They don't exist anymore. That becomes that literally becomes a block. It can become like spiritually solid. And it become that block in your life. So when you say, no, I needed love for you, and you let yourself have that cathartic experience, um, and you yell at them, and you say, you have to make amends to me now, then then that kind of helps shock you out of that and helps disperse that negativity. I wanted to love you, and you, and you denied it. You're the one at loss. So the, you can I got I've gotten mad at, at different different spirits in my life. <laughs> so it's okay because this is your experience now in this life, and you and you get to clear that negativity. Yeah, exactly. So it's it can be um, you know, and I've talked around building an ancestor altar and how to work with your ancestors because it's that's a very personal experience. But I can give you some of the basics of what I was taught. But working with your ancestors can be a very freeing experience. And I 
and they talk to you. They they find ways of giving you information about them. It's absolutely fascinating because I've experienced that, and I'm not the only one. That all of a sudden you get information on an ancestor you never knew you had information. That information. Uh-huh. You know, I called to my um, grandmother and I said, I need to know more about this side of the family. And then, like, within a month, um, my cousin found a newspaper clipping of how my grandfather died. Isn't that fascinating? Oh, interesting. So they, they, they talk to you. They do, and they give you information. And that's when I found out more about my grandfather. My grandfather built um, a machine shop in Toledo, Ohio, that supported him and his three brothers. They literally built it from the ground up. They built the building. They put the stone in place. They built the machines that were in the machine shop. So they built it from the ground up uh-huh. from nothing. So, well, actually, from, actually from my grandmother's money, but that's an whole other story. Um, <laughs> but but um, it was... You know, I I didn't know this. I didn't know any of this. And all of a sudden I get this information. It's like, oh, well, no wonder. No wonder I make my own way. And you know what? My grandfather was was um, had gotten a degree in accounting during the process. Mm-hmm. So he went to school during that process and ran the machine shop. And I'm like, huh, that sounds a little familiar. I started my business to go to school, although I didn't go. But um, fascinating to me. Yeah, definitely. So, um, so what do you think about that challenge about how to make, have your ancestors who were jerks work for you? How do you, what do you think about that? What I said. Uh, well, it, it gives you an ability to kind of, uh, I think, um, uh, make them some form of an active part of your life, but to, to redevelop maybe more of a positive relationship with them, at least even possibly psychologically than you had before. One of the things that I've done with my ancestors in that regard is looked at the legacies. I talk a lot about legacies. Patty uh-huh. and I talk about them in the DIY Akashic Wisdom book. Uh-huh. And, and working with family legacies and clearing them is another big way of working with your ancestors. And the, especially the ancestors who are jerks because there's, yeah. a, because there's a story behind it. Nobody gets to be a jerk out of the gate yeah. unless there's a chemical imbalance. But even then there's a story behind that too. Um, so when we learn, when we look at those ancestors who are painful to look at and we find their story, what happens is that we we learn their lesson too. Uh-huh. So if you look at, you know, uh, one of the things that I did in, in, in my family is that there is, there's an issue of poverty. Um, being successful, having like a, a, a professional career and that kind of success, but still being on the poverty level of it um, in, through my father's line. Uh-huh. Uh, well, maybe not the poverty level, but, but just above. You're always broke. You always have money issues. Everyone's freaked out about money is basically what, what it is. And what you can do is you can travel that back and, and understand the lesson. So even the jerky ancestors bring the lessons to you. Um, there is something um, that there for you that the strengths or weaknesses yeah. that you can learn from, use, tap into, clear, um, and also warnings yeah. come in through that. So you can use that energy even, you know, if you, if you always deny them, if you always deny the, 
the um, rotten apples on the family tree, then they will always be rot. Yeah, exactly. So if you look at it, working with your ancestors, look at the rotten apple on the tree, and and you'll underst- and you start to understand a little bit better, and then you can see it reflected in your own life. It's absolutely fascinating how um, how that can happen. Like um, watch, looking at the legacy and and the phoenix side of things, and how that carried on through generations, different types of legacies, and seeing it uh-huh. manifest in my daughter, and then working with her on that. And some of those ancestors weren't the best. Exactly. They were philanderers and all kinds of things. <laughs> <laughs> um, so it's it's not it's never um, a clear cut story because we're all bad guys in somebody's life. Yeah. At, different, at varying levels, some people you, something that feels fairly innocuous can become the bane of somebody else's existence. I know because I'm the bane of some people's existence, and I still don't understand why. So just remember. In someone else's story, you're the bad guy. You're always the hero in your own story. Oh, yeah. So your ancestors might be the hero in their own story. So how can you find that, that um, un- understand them so you don't repeat the same thing or you can get them to work with you? Crazy, huh? Yeah, definitely. I know. We're starting. Is this, are we running out of time already? Uh, I do not think so. Okay, good, because I was looking at the clock run. (laughs) (laughs) So, do you have a, you don't have an ancestor altar, you don't work with your ancestors at all? Uh, No. Um, The only only way that I work with the ancestors is that in Kabbalah, of course, you know, you work with um, dead rabbis. Interesting. Um, you know, the, the 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 death day of a particular rabbi is considered um, sacred. Uh, uh, you know, in uh, in in Kabbalah. So that's the uh, idealized yeah. ancestor approach. Yeah, that's fascinating, interesting. Because I know in the Jewish tradition, you don't work with the dead. Um, no. Why? Um, because according to the Jewish necromancy. Um, is the only thing that is forbidden. Meaning, according to the Jewish tradition, if you continue to contact the dead, you will trap them on the physical plane. Therefore, they can't reincarnate. Interesting. I I, I really can connect with that because I that's something that um, that I wonder about myself. So I I think that a lot of times what we're working with with our ancestors is is that part that remains on the physical plane, but I I don't have all the answers. All I know is that they work. Well, that that is the reason why that they don't do it, because basically what they're stating is that if you you practice necromancy, okay, you're basically blocking them from moving on to correct their T-cone. Interesting. So, and then if if you look at one of the other things I've taught, which is when you have the spiritual mask for them and it helps them correct helps them elevate you pray for them yeah um so one of the one of my teachers talked about um how when you step into the spiritual realm there is no past present and future so you are it's like there's you're working with everyone in that moment so there's not a timeline so then it's so then in essence basically what you're saying is that you can bring even your unborn relatives into work for you yeah, but that's a mind bender now, isn't it? <laughs> well, don't t- talk to me about past, present, and future without me going there. Oh, I know. <laughs> I, know. So, so I, what, I don't think any of us have all the answers um, because because I do have um, even in working with my ancestors. I'll say so. So where are you guys? 
are you I, I'll have those moments. Have you reincarnated? Who am I working with? But but I think there's there's that another one of my teachers said that there's always the thread, that DNA thread. Part of that ancestor reverence comes through that DNA thread. Yeah. Um, and that when you are adopted into a family or married into a family, then then you're married into that thread too. So you're also some some of my teachers talk about that genetic memory that you're working with. I think that basically, you know, for example, one of the things in regards to um, uh, Kabbalah's reverence of some rabbis is usually those are people that they consider to be zaddiks, meaning that they reach their perfected level, that they correct it. Kind of like a sainthood. So it's more like it's very very similar to. Um, sainthood, um, uh, you know, and that there's basically, you know, for example, you can call on Moses, basically, if you would uh, like some form of help or assistance, or Aaron, or uh, Miriam, or Jesus, or um, uh, Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai, Isaac Luria, um, uh, mm-hmm. um, Rab uh, 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 Ashlag, you know, that there's a whole different set of, uh, you know, all of the rabbis, basically, that wrote the Zohar that they believe are corrected, so... Um, you can tap into that particular um, energy. Um, in regards to calling up your grandfather, they're not going to look too fond on it. Interesting. Interesting. So there's. But like I said, I think that there, the reason for that has to do, and the reason I think that necromancy is um, uh, is prohibited. Um, uh, is because of the fact that it has to do with preventing the individual from moving on to correct their tikkun. Interesting, and and there's that other school of thought that them working with you is the correction. Um, And I love that you say necromancy, and I've always read it as necromancy. Well, here is here is my um, my question with all of this stuff, and it is also, you know, my question in regards to mediumship. You know, the people, Jackie, that I see that are very, very attracted to that particular type of stuff, okay, um, are often some of the most psychically addicted people that I know. Explain it, psychically addicted. So what I mean by psychically addicted is that they're constantly going to a medium for answers in regards to communicating with the dead um, over and over and over. And it has, been, you know, whatever it is providing them with, it it moves beyond um, needing to communicate and, and, and get answers and moves more into an addictive phase. Mm-hmm. I can, yeah, because they're not they're not present and trusting in their own life. When grandma has been dead for 30 years and she's still running your life through a medium, there's a problem. True. <laughs> True. That Then you're, you're right that they haven't elevated. They have not yeah. gone on to, to fix their, their tikkun. Um, but also there's something else. Um, you know, Christopher Penzik talks about the mighty dead and how they're um, spiritual leaders, Who, which I don't think they're maybe, I don't. I'm not going to assume that they're at the elevation of the rabbis that you call on. Mm-hmm. But maybe they are in their own tradition. Yeah. And, um, and you know, I have my own spirit guides, who some of them were once human. So is that, is you know, so so what is it? So I think it, it all kind of, I don't think we have the answers to what happens in the spiritual realm. But I do know that in working with my ancestors, it's brought a level of protection. Mm-hmm. It's brought a level of history and identity to me because it's hard to um, understand where you're going if you don't know how the universe got you here in this body with this 
with his experience mm-hmm. and with his blend of family. And I think that's what the ancestor reverence, which I think is different than ancestor worship. Um, ancestor worship is, is much more in-depth, but reverence is saying, yep, this is where I'm from and this is who made me and this is who um, can help me. Mm-hmm. So um, there's... And there's there's several traditions on how to build your ancestor altar for the reverence for them, for asking for their blessing. Some of it as simple as, these are my ancestors and I'm blessed by them just by being their descendant, to talking with them and working with them. So they, they it runs the gambit. Yeah. And in the Asian traditions, the ancestor altar is always up high in the main area, like the main living area. Mm-hmm. so that your ancestors could watch you on a day-to-day basis. In more European traditions like Rome and the, the Mediterranean or even Western European traditions, there's a spirit house that would be right outside your front door. And your ancestors would protect your house from um, from invaders, whatever. You know? Now, do you tell these ancestors that they have the night off when you're getting freaky? <laughs> you don't put them in your bedroom. Oh. <laughs> I just had to ask. <laughs> you never put your ancestors in your bedroom. Or you're going to end up with a lot of kids. That's one of my teachers said. You never put your ancestors in your bedroom, even if you have to just build a, um, um, like a, um anonymous little shrine outside of your home. You never put your ancestors in your bedroom because your ancestors are very interested in their line continuing. <laughs> one way or another. So, um, and then in the African tradition, which is where I was taught the ancestor reverence, is that it's traditionally outside by the largest tree with the deepest roots because uh-huh. they feel the ancestors went deep into the earth. Oh, that's interesting. Um, and and then when you couldn't, when when folks moved to the city and they couldn't have, they didn't have a big tree to put their, there was one tree in the whole tenement building, they would put their ancestor altar either in the bathroom or the kitchen. And I think it's because of the pipes uh-huh. that went into the earth. So that's – nobody could answer that question for me, but I just went logic. Um, and then their ancestor altar is on the floor, whereas um, in the Asian cultures, the ancestor altar was up high and with your finest china because you, um, you want to treat them with great respect. Yeah. In the African tradition, your ancestor altar is on the floor closer to the earth but you want to use broken or torn items because that represents that they are on the side of the dead. So it differentiates the, what is theirs to what is yours. And so you would you give your offering of food and candles and flowers and pictures and, and, and items that were theirs yeah. um, in their life to represent them and the food and the flowers, water, coffee, to give them energy to help you, to help bring blessings into your life. And so that you don't want them saying, "Oh, look, food," and then using the energy of the food that you're you're eating on a day-to-day basis. I have a funny story about that. So a friend of mine is having a gathering at her house, and she has the tiniest kitchen in the known universe and the tiniest bathroom in the known universe. Uh-huh. So she has her ancestors on the wall connect that connects the living room to kitchen, and it's on a table. And she always, she would tell everybody, "Do not put your beer on that table." It will go flat in two seconds because my ancestors will absorb all the energy, and I did. I, unbeno- I I forgot. I made a mistake, and I set my beer down, 
and I picked it up a moment later to drink it, and it was totally flat. I was like, what's wrong with this beer? She goes, you put on the Ancestor Ulcer, didn't you? <laughs> and I'm like, damn, they're good. They're fast. But you, when you start having experiences like that, you go, okay, I get it. There's, there's, they're working with you. Um, and so, in the again, in the African tradition, you would use a white cloth, um, or you would make uh, use chalk to outline the area of the ancestor altar, um, and then you would put a, when you are building it for the first time, you want to give them a candle, and water, and flowers, and food, and and invite them all in, and you talk to them. Uh-huh. You talk to them for um, seven days. Um, it was, it was uh, three days, uh, uh, fourteen days, seventeen days, twenty-one days. Um, you would you would talk to them for that length of time every day, and um, it's and that that build, you know think about the twenty-one days that makes total sense because you're building a habit, uh-huh. and and that that establishes your rapport that establishes your connection with them. Uh, you don't have to have pictures. Yeah. On your ancestor altar, a lot of people have would have representation of them or their name. Um, I did not have a picture of my grandfather for a long time, I, but I did have um, a card from my grandfather and grandmother's wedding with their names handwritten in script yeah. on it. So that was perfect. I mean, I, I had that's something I stumbled across in, in one of the family boxes. So something that represents them, I have uh, my Uncle Andy, who is a locksmith. He had passed, and he, again, he has built up his own business that his children sold for several million dollars. So we have I have a lock that's disassembled because he always loved reassembling locks and he would show us how to do that when we were kids. So that's my remembrance of him so that I have that on my ancestor altar in honor of him. Um, flowers are important to kind of freshen up, bring living energy to them, and flowers just make everybody feel better. So, <laughs> But there's a huge amount of energy that it gives that it, that it gives to them. Do not put pictures of living people on your ancestor altar. I'm just saying. Do I have to explain that one? No. Okay. Um, even if the perfect picture of, like the perfect picture of my Aunt Penny when she's smiling the biggest, she's with my dad. I'm not putting my dad on my ancestor altar yet. He doesn't belong there. Um, and then... You know, some people ask me if they need to leave a candle burning all the time. No, no, just light the candle for a while, talk to them, interact with them, feed them. You're feeding them your love and energy, and then they're feeding you right back. Yeah. Um, but I'm, I'm, I know there's seven-day candles, and a lot of people leave their seven-day candles going all the time. Since I am a candle manufacturer, I'm saying that's a bad idea. Because, you know, flame is a tricky thing. It does, like, have a, a life of its own. Now, in some traditions, only your blood ancestors belong on your ancestor altar. And then people who have been adopted or adopted into a family say, well, what about these people who raised me? So that's a personal decision for you Um, because there's two schools of thought. You know me. I'm the what feels good girl. I'm the what makes sense girl. So if this is the family that raised you, you you become blood of their blood at that point. Yeah. So I think that, that that's... And you might even have two families. So you just get double the pleasure, double the fun right there. <laughs> double the dysfunction. <laughs> double the dysfunction. Thank you very much. So um, it, 
it can be very um, an ancestor altar can be very simple. Um, and yes, if if I was an Ifa priest or a centurion priest, I would be giving you super duper instructions, and there has to be nine rays, and there has to be this, and you have to draw it like that. And I'm like, no, no, mine is not exact, and I have a um, deep interaction with my ancestors, and um, they they do like us, and they do work with us. Um, and so, getting them to work for you is. <laughs> <laughs> exactly, and, it, and it's it's a conversation. It's asking their help, and they um, and they do it. Asking help, um, I've asked so many help on so many different things, and then just stuff shows up in my life, um, especially if I pay attention to it and take. It. They, they bring opportunity. Yeah. If you think about it, whether you're working with your divine allies or you're working with your ancestors, when you present them with energy. You give an offering of energy to them, which could be thanks or gratitude or a request. But you really need to give them like a an energetic push from this side of the veil. They very rarely is it some physical, tangible item that uh-huh. just boom shows up on your desk or on your front porch. Um, very rarely is it something like that. That's that's a that's a big one when that happens. But more often you'll find the opportunity that quickly turns into this thing that you're asking their help for. And you don't even realize it was the opportunity because it's so obvious. You just grab it. So that's that's kind of how I've seen the you know ancestors work. And all spirits kind of work that way. Yeah. Um, so working with your ancestors, this is a good time to. This is a good time to build that relationship because the veil is so thin. And day of the death coming up, and that's when you just say, hey, thanks. Yeah. <laughs> You'll have to write a blog about that. I think so. I think I'll, I will. Day of the dead blog. We're, we, are, we are officially out of time now, aren't we? <laughs> just about. So um, as, as we just go crazy with the show and keep going. There's so much that can be talked about with your ancestors and I've done I've done two hour classes on, on getting in touch with your ancestors and talking to them and, and how to bring them into your life and how to build an altar. Um, but I I do feel that we need our roots. And I think that's why we feel so rudderless in our life sometimes. Yeah, exactly. Because we we are we become an island that um, I, I think we need our, our connections, our spheres of influence, our um, our place in the universe, our our cog within that big universal machine. And and when we don't feel we're connected to anything, that that we're we're just um, an individual being, it's hard to feel the connection to the world that you have. So, are you, do you have a different view on ancestors now? Or are you just sticking with your own, own one? I'm, I'm probably not going to build an altar anytime soon. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't think you were. But, 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 it's, but it's interesting, and I think that you know, for people that um, uh, are interested in that particular um, uh, type of stuff, um, I definitely think that it is something of value. Um, uh, uh, you know, and of course, you know the. Um, uh, uh, for me, um, 
you know, it's it's much easier for me to to work with, um, you know, either it be the light or um, some form of um, uh, a disembodied energy um, than it necessarily is um, uh, an imperfect uh, human energy or possibly past imperfect uh, human energy. But there's, a, you know, it, it's got a lot of value and a lot of merit to it. And we all, um, in many ways, whether it even just be superficially, we remember them on the day that they died. Mm-hmm. Because that that holds a lot of energy on that too. Um, yeah. But but there's also the risk, and and actually it's interesting is that um, other than what well, one of my teachers told me that you don't work with the recently deceased. Uh-huh. You can honor them and and maybe talk to them or using and the point of an ancestor altar is that this is a point of contact, so they're not invading every moment in every area of your life. Uh-huh. And then the recently deceased, you put them on your ancestor altar to say, this is how you communicate with me, you don't haunt me. Uh-huh. Um, so it's also a containing of your ancestors so they're not just <gasps> chattering in your head all the time. Yeah, exactly. It gives them a set of rules and stuff to work with. But she said you don't work with the most recently deceased because they're busy. Um, they need to elevate. They need to heal. They need to release their, their mortal mortal coil. Um, and move on, and so then they can check in on you. Um, so that's that is how. Um, and actually, uh, and one of one of my other teachers said you're not allowed to work with them for a year. Uh-huh. You can say hey, you can say hello to them, you can wish them well, um, you can talk to them and work out your grief with them, but um, you you cannot ask them for assistance for more than a year. Yeah. So that, and that makes sense too. So it's it's all, um, but I think the biggest part of it, the the part I like the most is the one um, the, the blog that I read, and I and this is something that my daughter is absolutely fascinated with is just knowing their stories, and knowing their stories helps you understand how your parents are the way they are. So that helps you understand how why your parents treated you the way you are. It just really starts to create. Um, the never-ending story of of your family legacy, so you can understand how to work with it. Yeah. So there we are. Yeah. So I think that that's you know it's it's definitely a creative way I think to work with some of the past um, uh, influences that you know uh, and to make peace with them. I think it is good to make peace with them regardless. Mm-hmm. It may take you your whole life to do it, but I think that it is good. And I don't think, and it's not a. I don't think you make pieces of them in a one-shot deal either. Mm-hmm. Everything is a process. Everything is is a little bit at a time to get there. You know, you can't you can't try and drink the ocean. You'll drown. But um, and you wouldn't want to drink the ocean. It's really salty. It's no good for you. But you can't drink the entire lake. You'll drown. Yeah. But if you take a little bit, filter it, and then drink it. <laughs> Um, if you go to a cool stream, you you can get enough water, um, and you can deal with it a little at a time. You can quench that thirst a little at a time. So, that's a that's a little bit of little bit of my tradition on how I work with them. It's a big time of year for me to work with my ancestors, and I actually did a little thing. Um, uh, someone asked me for um, some guidance on how to work with the spirit guides in their store. Uh-huh. Spirits in their store, and um, I meditated on this, and I gave them this little formula, which is um, the Hecate World Magic Candle, uh-huh. 
the sweet grass world magic candle and the green man world magic candle, lighting them all at the same time and talking to the spirits in your store. Because every building has its own guardian spirits, and, and when you um, when you're, you and your guardian spirits and your ancestors all move in the same direction together, you create quite a force. Yeah. And so if they know what you're up to, and they're behind you pushing what you're up to forward. So use the Hecate candle for tapping into the spirit world, because Hecate, she goes between the dead and the living all the time. So she helps create that clear line of communication. Yeah. And actually, I'll use a Hecate candle to talk to the dead and to my ancestors too. Um, but the, and the sweetgrass candle is to connect you with joy and abundance and happiness to make sure that your communications are concerning um, your personal evolution and, and creating more joy and abundance in your life. And then the green man candle is to honor and bring into alignment all the elementals because we, we don't talk about them much, but there's a lot of just natural wild energy around you, and the green man helps harness that and get that working in your direction too. So if you have your spirits and your ancestors working with you and all the, the wild energy around you working, and you are in a path to joy and abundance, that's an awesome place to be. So so just talking to them, lighting the three candles, and talking to the store, your store spirits or your home spirits or all the energies around you, um, and tell them your goals. It might be um, those financial goals for your store. It just might be your own personal goals or the different things you want to do or bringing peace into your life. And, and ask them for, for what you want. Ask, them, ask all of this energy to bring specifically what you want, and it will it'll continue to bring opportunities. And I, um, you can take those three candles burn them for a while and burn them every day for a while um, and then every time you talk to them just light those candles it's kind of like creating a, a telephone here's your, here's your phone number when you um, bring these energies together and you're talking to them they know that you know that you mean business it's not a random conversation so it's a it's a fun little thing to do to, to get everybody in alignment heading in, in the same direction which is why I work with my ancestors because I ha- get us all heading in the same direction, um, so they know what I'm looking for. If you don't tell, if you don't tell your divine allies where you're going and what you want to do, they don't know how to help you. Right? Yeah, simple exactly. That. Simple as that. Very simple. Very simple. <laughs> so we are. Mr. Sestavani, you know, I, I lost track of time. I've asked you a couple times if we were running out of time, and I realized I totally have lost track of time. So, so we've gone. I've just, I get all you excited. You can just go ahead and close. I get so excited. I just, about what we're doing So we are bringing this um, Keep It Magic show to a wrap. And if you have um, any questions or you want to continue this conversation, look us up on Facebook under Keeping It Magic or Keep It Magic Radio, and you'll find us. You can also find us on keepitmagic.com where you'll find our Facebook link there. And um, make sure you visit our sponsor, coventrycreations.com, which we also happen to have a link to on keepitmagic.com. And, and on Keep It Magic, you'll find our latest articles and blogs and information and what, we're, what we've been talking about. And we would love to hear from you. So there's a little link to contact us too. It's crazy. We're organized. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so this has been... Another great show with you, Storm. I always love this conversation. And thanks for letting me ramble and, and share my piece of magic. 
with everybody. And um, and I want you all to have a lovely couple of weeks. And we're going to see you on the other side of November. Yeah, definitely. Is that really? Yeah, we're talking about hauntings in November. It's going to be interesting. Oh, yeah. I'm excited about that. Hauntings of the soul, not your house. <laughs> <laughs> I'm excited. Although your ghost candles might work, so we may. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, a little bit of spirit relief yeah, exactly. and all that other stuff. So, what do we need to do, Storm? Keep it magic. All right, everybody. Speak life. feels perfect other days it just ain't working the good the bad the right the wrong and everything in between yo it's crazy amazing we can turn our hearts through the words we say mountains crumble with every syllable hope can live or die so speak life
Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Over and by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.